Hello there, spell slingers of the multiverse, and welcome to the Mystic Study, where we always pay the one to search for those hidden gems of the Commander format. My name is Ben, and today we're going to be talking about the top 10 underutilized clone effects in Commander. For those new to the show, we focus on interesting cards that seem underplayed, or perhaps irrationally unloved in the Commander format. So before we get started, let's analyze a random card of the day. Uh, here's to hoping that Scryfall really uncovers the true gem of the episode. So today's random card is Rebuff the Wicked, which is currently in around 7,200 decks, according to EDHREC. That is 2% of the viable decks that it could be in. So let's look at the card first here. Rebuff the Wicked is a one white instant that reads counter target spell that targets a permanent you control. This is a pretty cool card. Uh, white counter spells really do tickle my fancy. Um, I'm looking at you, Manatith. Manatithe. Um, this one seems significantly stronger, actually, than Manatithe, uh, in Commander, at least, especially off-curve. Uh, the benefit to a card like Manatithe is you can play it early in the game where people are tighter on mana, and it's going to hit uh, more, you know, it's going to counter things more reliably. And that, of course, is an unconditional soft counter. Um, but this one um, is a hard counter with a condition. So, what I mean by soft or hard counter, um, hard counter, it counters it regardless of what happens. Um, as long as the spell resolves, it's going to be countered. Soft counter, usually there's a condition your opponent can pay or activate or do something to get around it. In the case of mana tithe, it's pay one colorless. So this counters the spell indefinitely, which is cool. Um, you'd never probably run this in a deck you know, that has access to blue. Uh, but mono white, maybe, um, or some kind of white X Voltron decks just to protect your piece or your commander um, and, and sneak in that surprise factor. It being one mana is pretty cool. Like if this was two mana even, we wouldn't be talking as much about this. But this is a seriously decent card. I think it compares mostly, uh, or like the, the closest to a protection spell, really. Um, it can easily protect non-creature permanence, whereas most protection spells can only help a creature but it still really relies on your opponent's level of interaction, and I think that's why this card sees such little play. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it also it also protects permanents that you yourself can't target for some reason. So that's that's kind of cool. Um, I like it. It's got really cool artwork. It's seen a recent reprint in uh, Planner Chaos was the original printing. Now back in Time Spiral remastered. It's brought the card down, sitting at around a buck twenty. Um, so it's a cool card. Definitely will be a very gotcha-feeling card if you ever get to land on, on a big spell. Okay, we've got the random card out of the way here. Let's talk about a couple honorable mentions. There's a lot of clone effects in Commander. Um, let's first, though, define how I'm interpreting the, the term clone effect for today's list. So the original clone printed way back in Alpha, the very first set of magic, is just a 0-0 shapeshifter creature that costs 3 and a blue. And it just reads... You may have clone enter the battlefield as a copy of any creature on the battlefield. Uh, that was the original. It certainly won't be making the list today, uh, but it's certainly since inspired dozens of takes on a pretty genius yet simplistic design concept. So when a lot of people think of a clone, they think of a creature card because clone, uh, again, the original was a creature. Now, while that's true of many clones, I'm not excluding non-creature spells that create copies of other permanents from this list today, so don't be surprised if you hear me talk about 
uh, a few of those. I also want to highlight just a couple commanders who are either clones themselves or her, or who yield themselves really well to that kind of strategy. So just a few. We won't go, we won't even read all these cards. I, I'll leave it to you to t- take a look at them, but you forget how many there are. So let's just talk about a couple quickly. Riku of Two Reflections in teamer colors, green, blue, red. We have Volo in green, blue. That's my newest commander deck. Maybe we'll be talking about that later on the show. Uh, the Mimeoplasm, which is black, green, and blue. Morit of the Frost, which is a new one from Kaldheim, newer, uh, which is green, blue. Lazav, I suppose both Lazavs could be considered a clone of sorts. Those are black, blue. Orval, Orfar, the all form, which is mono blue, another new one from Kaldheim, and another deck of mine that I love dearly. Sakashima of a Thousand Faces, though, is perhaps the cloniest of clone manders, uh, also mono blue. It lets you essentially play two copies of a single commander because it has partner. Um, these are just a few. There's definitely others that, that yield themselves to this strategy. There's certainly some I've probably missed. There are thousands of commanders out there now, so really hard to narrow down. We could almost do a, our own list for best clone commanders. Um, maybe that's another day, but today let's just talk about some clone effects in the 99. Okay, we're at number 10 here, Quicksilver Gargantuan. This is a card that sees play statistically in 0% of decks on EDH Rec. Um, let's just read it first here. So Quicksilver Gargantuan is a 7 mana 7-7. Seven, seven. It's a creature shapeshifter. And the mana cost itself is five blue blue. And it just reads kind of like a clone does, like the very original. You may have Quicksilver Gargantuan enter the battlefield as a copy of any creature on the battlefield, except here's the condition it is still seven seven. So I won't lie to you, this is the very first card I thought of when I first decided to do an episode around clone effects. This guy costs seven mana, <laughs> no built in evasion, no protection. Um, and that's why he's frankly in 0% of decks. Um, definitely a more casual card, but it, you know he does have really cool interactions and possibilities. Um, it turns out that a lot of creatures, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, a lot of creatures with base stats less than 7-7 seven, seven could really benefit from being 7-7s. Seven, <laughs> that's no big shock there. Um, creatures that come to mind are like things that care about dealing damage. Whenever this creature deals combat damage like a cold-eyed Selkie, which has Island Walk, which is the built-in evasion, and whenever it hits your opponent, you draw that many cards. So a 7-7 evasive uh, creature that draws you 7 when you hit an opponent is pretty sweet. Um, it also just likes keywords, um, cloning creatures with keywords, double strike, any kind of evasion. That becomes really scary quickly. Um, like, what about Infect, right? Blighted Agent. Turn your Blighted Agent into a 7-7 unblockable Infect. You might just be one-hitting your opponent from there. Um, especially if you poked him a couple times with the original Blighted Agent first. So, really cool card. Certainly requires build around. The fact that it's 7 mana means less decks want it today in a format that's speeding up. But it's not a card um, that's worth money. So, if you're ever interested in just making stupid big versions of fun creatures that are not typically stupid big, Quicksilver Gargantuan is your guy. We talked a little bit about cards uh, at the start of the video that aren't creatures, so this is the first one on the list, actually. Number nine is Mirror Match. Also, statistically in 0% of decks, 
Um, and it, again, it'll be the first of several non-creatures on this list, actually. So Mirror Match is a six-mana instant. It costs four blue-blue. It says, cast Mirror Match only during the Declare Blocker step, which, if you're unfamiliar, uh, follows the Declare Attacker step, kind of as a sub-part or a subcategory of the combat phase. So um, it says, for each creature attacking you and or a Planeswalker you control, you create a copy that's a token of that creature um, and it's put onto the battlefield blocking the creature and then at the end of combat you exile your tokens so it's kind of a mouthful of a card let's just break down really what that does so anyone attacking you um, mirror match recognizes each individual creature that is attacking you it also it's nice it catches planeswalkers if someone's attacking a planeswalker as well um, and it's going to just Make your board a mirror of their board, literally. And they're all each creature you create is blocking the creature that it was cloned from. So in the case of creatures with equal power and toughness, you know, those creatures are going to trade. Your tokens that were going to be exiled anyway are trading with their attacking creatures. Um, and if they have any kind of enter the battlefield effects or even die effects before that exile uh, would go off or leaves the battlefield effects, better yet, you know, this is pretty sweet. The ceiling of this card feels to me like it's just six mana win the game on someone else's turn. The floor is pretty abysmal, though. Um, six mana is a lot. You, It's one of those cards that is dependent on what your opponent's doing, and a lot of people don't like that today in the game, which I understand. Um, it does very much fall victim to that clause. Uh, if they have a ton of big, beefy creatures, with again, with those enter the battlefield, leave the battlefield effects... Um, then this is going to do some work for you. But um, again, it's it's not always going to be consistent. So the sweet spot of this card to me feels like if you can get around one creature, ideally a non-token creature, um, and what, like copy a creature, I should say, per mana you spend on this, that's kind of sweet. So this is six mana. What I'm saying is I think if you can get six creatures you've really, like, th this card has done something special for you. Um, a ton of the best utility creatures in the format have enter the battlefield, leave the battlefield, die triggers. Um, so this can just be a ton of value, like, so, so much value. Um, I would just recommend anyone considering running this card, play super greedy with it. Um, it's so, so cool. It costs 25 cents. It's an uncommon. So for me, it's just a no-brainer to own one. Who knows, you know, what commander can be printed down the road that makes this relevant in any way. Um, this loves token doublers. You know, maybe there's a commander down the road. Um, and there already are some more recently that I can think of that care about tokens in blue. So this one to me seems like a card worth just having one in, one in your bulk pile. And maybe one day you're a really happy person when they print the commander that makes this a $5 uncommon and demanding of a reprint. I think the card's cool. Not one of the stronger cards on the list, and that's why it's number nine, but potential is really high here. Number eight is a really fun one to me. I think it's a card that's been criminally underplayed, uh, but I do rank it number eight on the list because there's some pretty good competition here. So number eight is Nascent Metamorph, also in 0% of decks, um, just like the first two. So Nascent Metamorph is a two-mana 1-1 one -one shapeshifter. This one is a creature. It reads, uh, and it costs one and a blue. 
uh, when it attacks or blocks, target opponent reveals cards from the top of their library until they reveal a creature card. Nascent Metamorph becomes a copy of that card until the end of the turn, and then that player puts all the cards revealed this way on the bottom in a random order. So, it's kind of like a Polymorph clone. Polymorph is, is a card, or Polymorph effects, maybe that'll be another list one day. Polymorph effects care about revealing in, um, from the top of the library until you hit something, um, and then it essentially replaces the card. So this one is like a Polymorph clone effect. Um, and this, this cute little newt just brings a lot of chaos into your cloning. I'm, I'm trademarking that before the episode goes live. Nascent Metamorph is the cute little newt. Um, he is dirt cheap to buy, dirt cheap to cast, two mana, about a 30 cent rare right now. There's just no reason, again, not to own one. I mean, it's like so, it's such a cool card all around. Um, it does, again, fall victim to the same thing Mirror Match does, you know, that what is my opponent playing clause. But again, it costs a third of the mana that Mirror Match does. Uh, and it's at least a creature on its own. At, at The floor of this card is still, like, make a guy. Um, it is so devastating. This is something I'd never thought about this card before, but it is so devastating against greedy combo decks that play, like, just a couple creatures in it. Um, I'll give you an example. So I, I have a Prismatic Bridge deck where I run three creatures in it. The whole point of the deck is ramp out the Prismatic Bridge, use its trigger to get something super scary into play, and then exploit it that way. Kill your opponents really quickly. So I run three creatures in that deck. Progenitus, World Spine Worm, and Darksteel Colossus. Um, and I actively chose not to play even stronger and more oppressive things like Blightsteel Colossus because it was too mean, um, and then, you know, I was killing people on in a single swing. So in playing opponents with those kind of caliber creatures in their deck, the combo decks, you know, this just becomes like Blightsteel Newt Lassus and just kills someone for two mana by turn three with their own stuff. So that's a super specific scenario, sure, I'll give you that. But there's plenty of sweet things to grab. Um, it does stink that you don't get the ETB effect because it's already in play, but that's not really like what this particular clone is for. Um, and it even the trigger even matters when you block. So giving this like vigilance or being able to untap it doubles the amount of times you can transform it. And just it becomes one of those threat of activation cards that people are really unsure um, they know what's in their deck, and so they partially know what to be afraid of. But um, you also get to choose the opponent. It's not the person you're blocking or attacking. You can say, I'll block you, player A, and I know you, player B, have the scary stuff. So we're going to borrow your stuff um, and make this really scary. And it becomes this weird political kind of clone. So I, I really, really like how this one plays. And um, I think the design of this was just a slam dunk. This is a Commander 2020 card. So now we're talking like a couple years old. Um, I would just encourage you to pick one up. Again, it's like 20 cents right now. I don't, like, a card only gets so cheap. Um, and it would just be a cool card to see become relevant down the road. This number seven pick is pretty interesting because I didn't really think about the type vehicle ever making a list like this. So... Number seven, Dermotaxi. This is now the fourth card in a row that is 0% uh, or in 0% of viable decks on EDH rec. Dermotaxi, um, you know, actually, before I even get into this one, I just have to say, wow, this is dark 
and I'm a little embarrassed to admit just how much I love it. If you don't know what Dermotaxi looks like, please Google it. Um, or, you know, go hop and scryfall, take a look at Dermotaxi. What a, what a gruesome card. Um, kind of, you know, hats off wizard. That, that's a pretty, pretty good design. I like it. Um, Dermotaxi is a two mana vehicle. Um, but interestingly enough, it, it's colorless, by the way, that's really important here. Interestingly enough, though, it doesn't have crew like almost i think it might be the only vehicle that i can think of that does not have the crew mechanic which you know requires tapping a creature to basically animate the vehicle so dermotaxi is a zero zero but it has imprint uh, as dermotaxi enters the battlefield you exile a creature from any graveyard and then you can later on it has an activated ability tap two untapped creatures you control until end of turn dermotaxi becomes a copy of the imprinted card except it's a vehicle artifact in addition to its other types. So, as I said, the colorless identity is just massive here. It gives a clone to any color on the, on the color pie. Um, any deck could utilize this. The fact that it's in 0% of all possible decks is kind of wild to me. Um, it doesn't specifically have crew, but it is still a vehicle, and it dodges sorcery speed removal really nicely. A lot of Wraths are sorcery speed, so the idea is this hides. You know, this is not a creature on your opponent's turn, unless it absolutely has to be. Um, if, if you're really committed to a single creature, once you, you know, exile this card with imprint, that, that is a potential downside, but you're always able to flicker, bounce, recur the taxi to reset that too. Um, it's, it is an enters the battlefield effect. So if you're in blue, if you're in white, you know, there's actually colorless enablers to bounce things. Um, you can always reset the taxi if you really want to upgrade it later on. So it is only two mana. Maybe you don't have anything super exciting in a graveyard. Um, or maybe your opponent is playing reanimator and you just took the scariest thing in anyone's graveyard for two mana. Um, it's not superimposing until it really, really is. It's, again, kind of a threat of activation thing. People really get uncomfortable when you can utilize everyone's graveyard in theory. So, um, And it actually, as a matter of fact, goes really nicely in graveyard decks if you're able to fill your own graveyard. So the reason this is a little lower on my list is because, again, it requires... Um, graveyard interaction and people are really starting to pack that more into their decks because it is such a big resource in the format but this card again i'm going to keep driving the point home that these cards are all really cheap really underplayed and i like that aspect of commander that's kind of why i started this podcast there's so many cards out there that just don't have enough love and little goblins climbing into a dead mammoth and turning it into a taxi cab that's a card that deserves a little bit more play than it gets. 0%, that's criminally low. Come on. Okay, so number six is actually a land, another card type that I never expected to see on a clone list. Um, I'll give you a quick second to think of maybe what card that could be. There's only a couple lands that I'm aware of that copy or make copies of things. Um, so give I'll give you like three seconds here. Roll that through your head a little bit. The card is Thespian Stage. Um, now, this is one of the more played cards on the list. 4% of decks can run it. It is, however, viable. It's a colorless identity, therefore viable in every single deck. 
Uh, so that's worth considering as well when you look at that stat. Thespian Stage is a land that taps for one colorless, enters the battlefield untapped, which is important, and it also for two colorless and a tap, you can make it become a copy of any land except it has this ability. So this is a card that made Legacy Lands really strong. You have things like Dark Depths where you can clone it. It doesn't have the counters because it's a clone. And then you would sacrifice it and have a Merit Lage token. Uh, look at Legacy Lands if you're unfamiliar. It's a cool, cool deck. Um, but this has a ton of utility in Commander. So Vesuva is another card. Um that does essentially the same thing. It just is a colorless land that, that enters the battlefield as a copy of a land. So it's really like a direct replication of clone, the original, but for lands. The reason that that is not in this spot in Thespian Stage is, is because two mana um, to then be able to have the flexibility to continuously change this to whatever land you need um, is, is far better in my opinion. And it just got a reprint, so it's a good bit cheaper um, than Vesuva is right now. I think Vesuva is like maybe a $12 card. Thespian Stage is like a $2 card. Um, there's just so many great utility lands in the format when you're running a bunch already, and then inevitably your opponents are as well. Remember, this doesn't specify it has to be a land you control. Um, it just helps really uh, protect against targeted land destruction um, or double the amount of times that you can use a crucial tap ability in a given turn. So you can copy things as mean as strip mine and then double strip mine someone and blow up two lands. Or, you know, you could go a less spiteful route perhaps and just say, you know what, I want, I need fixing. I'm going to clone my command tower until later in the game when I have fixing. And then I want an extra reliquary tower because my hand size is so important that if someone blows up the first one, I have this backup in place. So Legacy Dark Depths, Legacy Lands is a thing for a reason. Um, this certainly enables cool combo interactions like that. Um, but again, I think just the being able to, uh, to just copy lands multiple times throughout the game is really valuable. And it, it enters untapped. It doesn't sacrifice any tempo. You know, it's hard to run a colorless land in maybe three plus colored decks. I think a lot of people first look to cards like Reliquary Tower or strip mine, or something along those lines if they're only looking to run one or two colorless lands. But Thespian Stage, I can assure you, is a, is one worth considering. It's got to be in those top 10 at least, um, just colorless utility lands in a lot of decks at least. It took me half the list to give two cards a single slot today, but these two are super similar in what they do. They're the same color, and I felt like we can just kind of, we can kind of group them here. So Number five goes to Twin Flame and Heat Shimmer, which see play in 3% and 2% of decks, respectively. They're both pretty similar in terms of what they do. Let's just read them first here. Heat Shimmer is two and a red for a sorcery. It reads, create a token that's a copy of target creature, except it gains haste, and at the beginning of the end step, exile this permanent. Twin Flame, very similar. It costs one and a red, so one cheaper. It says, choose any number of target creatures you control. Um, for each of them, put a token that's a cop or create a token that's a copy of that creature. They gain haste, exile them at the next end step. And this one has Strive, which is an ability that got a little bit of highlighting recently. One of the commanders from Neon Dynasty plays really well with this mechanic. So this is a card that could creep up a little bit. 
Strive is, um, it allows you to copy the spell as long as, it's kind of like Kicker. So this Strive cost is two and a red, and it says Twin Flame costs two red more to cast for each target beyond the first. So in theory, you could target infinite things with infinite mana. Um, or you could just target one thing for two mana, two things for five mana. Every target beyond the first adds two and a red to the cost. Um, so uh, th- these, these cards are kind of interesting. Red doesn't have typical clones like blue usually does. Um, if they get tokens, oftentimes they have haste, but the downside is you lose them at the end of turn. Both of these cases actually say uh, exile the permanent, which is a little bit of a bummer. Um, but, uh, and, and for that reason, you know, I kind of don't run red clone effects in a lot of my decks. Um, but th- they're still really powerful in a combo deck. Um, Twin Flame only lets you copy your creatures, whereas Heat Shimmer lets you copy any creature. And that's why I kind of defer to Heat Shimmer just a little bit. Um, but I think most decks that play either of these probably want both. So, uh, they're very fundamentally similar cards if you're just casting them on your own creature. They essentially read the same exact way, except one is, you know, one mana more to cast if you're targeting a single permanent. Um, yeah, Twin twin Flame goes in more so in like a go-wide deck that has access to a lot of mana. Red is the primary color of Storm and Rituals and... So generating a lot of mana shouldn't be very hard at all. So the ceiling of that card is certainly higher than, than Shimmer, uh, Heat Shimmer, but um, there's, there's just lots of ways to extend the value of both of these effects. You can double tokens, you can sacrifice the tokens to something before they're exiled, you can buff them, you can attach things to them. There's a lot of ways to get more mileage out of a simple card like this, and so they really do fall at a respectable number five today. Number four is a card that I am ashamed to say I had no knowledge of prior to looking up cards for this list. So number four is Phantom Steed, which sees play in 1% of decks. It is a horse illusion that costs three and a blue. It is a 4-3 with flash. And when it enters the battlefield, you exile another target creature you control until Phantom Steed leaves the battlefield. That's not dies, leaves the battlefield. When Phantom Steed attacks, you create a tapped and attacking token that's a copy of the exiled creature, and it gains the type Illusion, um, and you sacrifice it at the end of combat. So, this is a really, really unique clone effect. Not typically how clones work, certainly not in blue. We just looked at temporary token clones in red. Uh, This feels like a really cool card that's underappreciated for a few reasons. It's new. That could be the first one. This came out in the Adventures in the Forgotten Realms Commander decks. Um, in that Spirits deck. Uh, so um, the the upside of this card is, is you're guaranteed like an adequate body for the mana cost. Um, a 4-3 four, for 4 with Flash is fine. You wouldn't play that card in a Commander deck if that's all it did, but it's the Flash is a nice bonus. There's a... The ceiling... Uh, is pretty high, but the floor is not abysmally low, like some of the cards on this list. It feels a ton like a Restoration Angel that just comes in, presents a threat, protects something super important, which is really what it is. So if someone, just think about, someone comes in with spot removal for your commander even. You come in with the Phantom Steed, 
you flicker it out, um, and that spell is just going to fizzle. And then later, um, you know, you attack with a steed, you get a copy of your commander that will not count for the same commander damage if you care about that in a strategy, um, like a Voltron strategy. But again, when it enters the battlefield, you can exile a new creature. So if there's a way for you to flicker the steed, you'll get your creature back for it leaving, and then it re-enters the steed, and you can pick a new creature to exile if you want to free your commander up. So it does feel like a blue restoration angel um, in that sense. You also just get a token whenever the steed attacks and the token is attacking. So if it doesn't have um, an enter the battlefield, leave the battlefield, death trigger, because this one sacrifices at the end of the turn, not exiles, which is cool, you're still creating extra combat pressure at the very least. Um, and let's be honest, in blue, like what creatures don't do something when they enter, leave, or die? That's like the three big things that a lot of creatures in any color do, but let alone some of the powerful creatures in blue. Um, so when the steed leaves the battlefield too, you also are protected. Uh, you, get, you get that protected creature back. So there's just so much value, and this presents the opportunity to keep flickering the steed to protect a new creature while getting value from the previous one you exiled. Just like I said before, maybe, it's, maybe this comes in uh, to play just to protect something, and then you really just loop through it and you're getting like double the triggers for enter, entering and leave the battlefield effects, um, you know, for this card. So to me, this, this deck, or, or the, rather this card, just belongs in a blink deck. This is the, maybe the best uh, clone effect to put in a blink deck, which is a hot take maybe. But that, this card is really, really strong and synergistic in those decks. Um, it also would work really nicely in any deck that cares about tokens. Um, anything that doubles tokens, I'm thinking of how nutty this is with, like, play this on turn four, play doubling season on turn five, attack, and then you're creating two copies of whatever you exiled, both tapped and attacking, both potentially giving additional value from entering, dying, leaving, dealing combat damage, whatever. Um, this seems like a card that is a slam dunk in specific decks, and a pretty acceptable clone all around. Um, and again, the art is beautiful on this card. Definitely go give it a look uh, in Scryfall. Yet another card on this list today that I want to say is under a dollar. So um, it's one to keep an eye out for as the print run um, kind of diminishes and these older decks get harder to find. We're in the top three now. Uh, we've got our first gold card on the list. It's Altered Ego in 3% of viable decks. So one of the more played cards on the list today, uh, especially considering that way fewer decks are able to run this. Altered Ego is a 4 mana zero, 0 It costs... X, two colorless, green, blue, for a zero, 0 creature shapeshifter. Uh, it can't be countered, and you may have it enter the battlefield as a copy of any creature on the battlefield, except it enters with X additional plus one, plus one counters on it. So what this essentially is, is a more beefy green splashed clone. You can play this as an, exactly as a clone effect. Um, the original clone, four mana, zero, zero, enters as any creature. This, the, the, the floor of this card is just that, but it can't be countered, which is a really nice clause. Um, and that's one of the most obvious benefits to this card. 
The other one that is huge and even larger in my opinion is the scalability of this card. So at any point in the game, mana sinks are really helpful, especially in the late game. If this is a card you hold on to for something bigger, you want to target a six or seven drop um, that you have or that an opponent has, you can make this really big. Um, you know, maybe it's maybe you're copying just like a big dumb crater hoof behemoth, right? Somehow, somehow there's a crater hoof behemoth in play, and not everyone else is dead. Maybe that happened. Probably not. Maybe a bad example, but you can essentially make an even larger um, version of whatever you're copying as long as you have the mana to do so. And since this is a creature, you're not going to be casting it with flash very often. Um, sometimes it's okay to just say, I'll turn all my land sideways and make this as big as I can. And if you can't deal with it, the game is over. Um, so the fact that this scales through the game is just amazing. It ensures that there's 100% mana efficiency past turn four. Um, and it poses a, a huge problem for the decks that can't easily deal with larger creatures. Um, the floor, again, is just like an uncounterable clone for four mana, which is still perfectly playable. It's not nothing glorious or exciting. Um, it's just kind of an all-around good card that doesn't necessarily beg to be in any single type of deck, and I think that might be actually why it's played in quite a few decks. We have back-to-back -back gold cards here. Number two is Dax Duplicate in 2% of viable decks. Um, Dax Duplicate is a 4-mana 0-0 shapeshifter. Costs 2 blue-red. And it says you may have Dax Duplicate enter as a copy of any creature on the battlefield, except it gains haste and dethrone. So for people unfamiliar with dethrone, um, it reads, whenever this creature attacks the player with the most life, or tied for the most life, you put a 1-1 counter on it. So um, this one's really sweet because it uses a unique keyword that's only, I think, appeared in one or two sets. Maybe it came back in the second conspiracy set. Um, but it's, it's a very uncommon, uncommonly used keyword. So I like that already. Um, the biggest thing though, is the haste. I think unconditional creature clone, meaning it doesn't have to target your creature can do any creature and whatever you're copying is going to have haste. Yes, please. That sounds sweet. Um, aside from the mainly red and colorless options that make the tokens with haste, this is about the only clone that will enter with haste. Um, and it's the only one I'm aware of that doesn't like sack or exile itself at the end step. This is like a permanent hasty clone built in. Um, so you don't need two cards, one to clone, one to give haste. This has both in one. Um, the dethrone commanic, commanic, the dethrone mechanic, uh, that I was just talking about is really cool because it introduces a certain political element, just kind of further justifies targeting the person with the most life. Uh, without making people, you know, without making any kind of big enemy. Sometimes people get, like, irrationally salty when they have, like, 55 life and you, like, swing at them when you could just not swing at anyone. People are, like, a little too sensitive, in my opinion. So dethrone is a way to say, no, like, I'm going to get the value out of my keyword mechanics. Sorry, it's not personal. And for some reason, that justification in people's minds just, like, makes just reduces the sodium at the table. So um, I do like it for that. Um, this being gold is probably what holds it back from being number one for me. It's cool enough, though, that a lot of, uh, you know, almost any deck that cares about 
chaos or politics or just plain good stuff would like to have it. Um, you can't play it in a, in a one color deck, unfortunately, but you know, two and up two all the way up to five colors, I think can use a cool card like this. Um, and it's making me want to find a deck right now as I'm sitting here recording to put decks duplicate in and have it be the scariest, scariest clone possible. So there's only one printing of this card and it's only $3. So this is a card worth watching. Um, to me, this is about at the correct price point. But if, again, if this just doesn't get reprinted, it's a card that will probably crawl up a little bit in price over time. Number one, we've made it to number one today. And this is one that might be the most criminally underplayed card of any card on my whole entire podcast so far, which is a really hot take, I understand. So Masterwork of Ingenuity is in 1% of all viable decks. And I say all viable, meaning this is a colorless card that could go in absolutely any deck in theory. And we'll talk about why maybe it wouldn't go in every deck. But um, this sees shockingly low play to me. So Masterwork of Ingenuity is a one colorless artifact equipment. And it's a really simple card. So, so simple. You may have Masterwork of Ingenuity enter the battlefield as a copy of any equipment on the battlefield. It's just baffling to me that this card's play percentage is as low as it is, considering it can be played in any deck that cares about um, equipment at all, which is a ton of decks. Artifacts are, I believe, still the top um, theme on EDHREC by a landslide. And I realize not every artifact deck is an equipment deck, but um, you'd be hard-pressed to find an, an artifact deck not running some valuable equipments. Um this was a card talked about as a legacy and even potentially vintage playable card when it was first spoiled in Commander 2014, and it's since dropped to like a literal $1 bulk rare because it's been reprinted a few times. If you don't have another equipment in play, this card is a total dud. I'll give you that. The floor is low. However, um, the ceiling is quite high. It allows you to copy other high mana value equipment and remember, like this costs one mana, so it doesn't even it doesn't need to be anything dramatically expensive. Think about how strong copying just a grafted war gear is in a Voltron deck. You've saved yourself two mana. Your threat is five stats bigger, um, and you're just ready to equip it. So there, there, there's a lot of just cards that really synergize well with it. Um, more and more equipment today function like really independently too. So I'm thinking of cards like Batter Skull, Cauldra Complete, Nettlesist, the cards with Living Weapon, that if you copy them, you don't necessarily need to equip them right away. You know, Kamigawa Neon Dynasty just released a whole new mechanic specifically targeted around equipment, um, which is kind of a playoff Living Weapon. It's Reconfigure. So um, it, it's like a really... It's a creature when it comes into play. However... It can become an equipment later if you attach it. Um, there's also just really cheap equip costs. Like I just mentioned Grafted War Gear, zero is as cheap as it gets. Lightning Greaves, also zero to give something haste. Um, and you can't put two pairs of Greaves, or you can't put a, you know one boot on each of two creatures. So you need multiple Lightning Greaves if you need haste for multiple creatures. Um, Skull Clamp just equips for one, and it costs one. So... Just Masterwork of Ingenuity and Skull Clamp with a few tokens in play is like 
two mana draw four every turn, you know? Um, people get caught up trying to save so much mana playing a card like this, but even just cloning like a two to four drop equipment saves you a relevant amount of mana. That's kind of the point I'm trying to, to get at. And it also clones any equipment. So yes, I think there's some truth to the fact that you wouldn't run this in a deck not not running a critical mass of equipments. However, um, other people at the table are certainly going to be running maybe a couple equipments here and there. So it's likely there's always something to copy. Um, in those decks, the ones that can run a critical mass of equipment, I'm talking about a Voltroni deck um, in a lot of cases, like this just feels like a demonic tutor kind of equipment. Um, it essentially lets you run a second copy of the single best card or cards in your deck. Um, and like any Voltron equipment deck should consider this, especially ones that can access free equip spells in white. Um, Arden just lets you put a bunch of stuff on it. Pure Steel Paladin lets you do the same thing if you have three or more equipments. Everything is now zero to equip. Sigarda's Aid. Um, one of the meaner plays I make in my decks is I run a Colossus Hammer out uh, with a Sigarda's Aid. I immediately attach it to my commander, and then I have Masterwork of Ingenuity to follow up. Copy the hammer. It goes right on my commander, and someone's dead. So, like, this card I can't overstate how high the ceiling of this card can be um and to me it's a card that i'm like really trying to not buy a bunch of on a spec that someday it finds its its day in the sun um but i fear for a lot of us that maybe people aren't seeing it that way um and so masterwork of ingenuity is is number one on my list today Maybe a hot take, but it's a card that I will defend to the grave. I will go to the mat over this one. And I do think for literally one mana, it could not possibly be cheaper and balanced. All right, all right. Now that my rant's over about how unloved Masterwork of Ingenuity is, we're going to wrap up for today. So that's all for now, Spellslingers. What I gathered from this list is that clones are criminally underplayed as a whole. So really just get out there, start copying stuff, whether you control it or not. It's safe to say we're sure to keep getting more interesting variants down the road. So here's to hoping that some really start to catch on more. Um, I'm Ben. Thanks for joining me in the Mystic Study. And I'd love to have you back next time where, when we dig for the top 10 underrated one drops together. Until then, take it easy, everybody.